Let this be a lesson to Major League Soccer that you got to figure out a way to retain the talent, especially the talent that wants to be here, and especially the talent that is produced domestically. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This show will be talking Klopp, Xavi, Lions, Vasquez, club versus country, jersey leaks, simple soccer fixes, T-Swift, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this uh, Monday, January 29th in the year 2024? I am doing well because I am not a Detroit Lions fan, so I did not have my heart ripped out yesterday. Let's let's get into it, shall we? Um, yes, it was not a good day for my Lions. It was not a good day for the Lawless household. Um, I, I try to have perspective in these moments, Mossy. Uh, and for those that that don't know or listen to us from places that don't care, yes, my Detroit Lions went to Levi Stadium up there in the Bay Area up outside of San Francisco and played the 49ers of San Francisco for an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl and came up short. Now, my wife and son went to the game, Mossy, and obviously they returned crestfallen, as many Detroit Lions fans. And I will say probably a lot of neutrals out there who were rooting for the Detroit Lions to go to their first Super Bowl. And I think we commiserated in the car and came to the realization that we would have rather they just got blown out. We would rather it wasn't even a, a, a game because not only was it a game, but it was, you know, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, especially after that, that, uh, that first half. And look, I am, I, I'm a Dan Campbell guy. I appreciate what he has done and the joy that he has given to me and so many others when it comes to this historic run. But I'm also in the business of talking about sports and analyzing sports. And if this was a soccer situation, I'm able to take off my lion's hat and look at it and say, what the hell? What the hell in terms of these decisions? And it's not, Mossy, again, we talk about this in soccer a lot of times about ideology and philosophy and ethos and all that kind of stuff. And if anybody has one, it's Dan Campbell. So he, at least I thought, was the real thing. And yet in this game, Mossy, in this moment, a part of me says at least he didn't betray himself in that second half and went for it on fourth down multiple times. And that it didn't happen, fine. You know, you risk reward, and this is how he rolls. The problem is, is in the first half, at the end of that half, when it's first and goal, or fourth and goal, instead of going for it and trying to get the touchdown, he settled. So you've already shown that you will settle. And I, I just don't understand why in that moment you don't go for it, but later on in the game, you you do go for it. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. It it it. And anyway, Mossy, I'm I'm trying to have perspective. Like I said, he 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 gave us a wonderful season, but I'm always going to be left with. But come on, 
I don't know. Did you watch the game? I did. Now, one person who was very critical of Dan Campbell on X, I want to get this person's name right. It's uh, Stu Holden. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stu said, I love Dan Campbell's aggressiveness, but man, NFC Championship game and a chance to tie it with seven minutes going for it 35 yards out. Reckless. I mean, I, I guess it's reckless. Again, a part of me says, if you, if you preach this ethos, and which he has done, and you know the stats back it up in terms of the amount of times that he goes for it, and by the way, the amount of times that he actually does get the first down or the touchdown, whatever it is, going forward on, on fourth, then I want you to live up to it. I don't want you to betray it at, I guess, not the first sign, but the biggest moment. And this would have been the biggest moment. And in that sense, he lived up to it in that second half. But then I juxtapose it with that first half where he didn't do it, and it just, my little brain, especially my little brain when it comes to football, cannot quite understand it. Um, and I know that there are traditionalists that are saying, and this is why you do it, and this is why you go for it, and this is why you don't go for it on, on fourth down. I like the fact that he go goes for it on fourth down. I just didn't understand why in that first half he didn't. And people will say, well, you take the three points at the end of the half because San Francisco gets the ball in the beginning of the second half, and you know it's a matter of possessions and all that kind of stuff. I, whatever, whatever. But again, I think forever this will be remembered in in a fond and joyous way by Detroit Lions fans and, like I said, by fans of the game. But I think now it will always have that caveat of, yeah, but it was there and we pissed it away. And, again, I just would have rather we got our ass kicked completely by the 49ers and we didn't. The story of the weekend in the NFL, Taylor Swift wins, Eminem loses. I mean, I guess in the moment, yes. So Taylor Swift uh, and her, uh, her boyfriend, um, what's his name again? Uh, Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey uh, of the, uh, the Chiefs of, uh, of Kansas City are now going to the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. And it's, it's two weeks from now, is that right? Correct, February 11th. So what do they do? Just hang out for the next couple of weeks and wait for this game? Correct. Hmm, interesting. Uh, so yeah, so from a... Can I just say something about the Taylor Swift thing? I, I think it's just completely ridiculous. And admitted, I think when it comes to the soccer world out there, we are often very protective and even overprotective of our game. And it's kind of like when you're when you follow a band from the beginning and then it gets big and everybody kind of comes in and, and is into it. And you look at them kind of as interlopers. I get that. I, I, I understand why people, you know, get irritated and this angst out there. But this is also the NFL. This isn't like a struggling, fledgling type of little engine that could, that is soccer. This is the NFL. There's plenty of room for everybody. And that they are showing Taylor Swift. I, I'll be honest with you. I am not the biggest football fan. But the fact that Taylor Swift is part of these games, it makes it that much more interesting for me. I do enjoy when they show her and what she is doing. This is one of the most famous people on the planet that is at the game, who, by the way, has a vested interest because her boyfriend, who knows, maybe her fiance, maybe her future husband, is out there not only playing, but winning and is starring for the team. You cannot, you, this, is, this is the best script that the NFL could ever have. And it's bringing more people into the tent. We should be so lucky when it comes to soccer to have something like this. So I think it is a little grumpy old man and women out there for the people that are put off at the fact that Taylor Swift is getting all of this attention. If, you know, who's the most famous person on the planet right now? I don't know. Trump, maybe? 
If Donald Trump went to a freaking football game, you're going to show him on the screen, okay? Because he's one of the most famous people in the world. Aye, aye. But he has nothing to do with the NFL. He's not playing. It's just, uh, anyway. Um, I, I, I don't have anything that I watched because this was the only thing that I watched. This was the only thing I really thought about over the, uh, over the weekend. Did you watch anything? couple things. Uh, last week, I did go see that movie, The Zone of Interest. So I'm up to eight out of 10 Oscar Best Picture nominees that I've seen. Uh, I don't know if I'd say I enjoyed it. It's a disturbing film about a Nazi family living in the Auschwitz camp, but That's it's right. very well done. I, I think it deservedly was nominated. Um, and then we're at the midway point of True Detective, another strong episode last night, episode three. Yep. I'm waiting for the, the full season, the limited series to be done. You know, my father... Uh, told me that uh, he finds it curious that in these what are we watching segments, I don't give a lot of context to my TV shows and movies. I just say the name. I say I'm enjoying it. And then we move on while you give uh, detailed descriptions of your shows. Uh, that was an observation he made. He thinks I need to expound more on my submissions in this segment. Well, he's coming down on my side. In oh, that, yeah. Well, I, I, if you just say the name of it, then it doesn't really tell anything. And I, I, I understand what he, where, where he's coming from. Yeah. I mean, obviously, don't give the don't give everything away but give people a little taste as to what and why you're watching. I mean, the fact that this is a Nazi type of thing and, and it is, I guess, more serious uh, in, in nature, I think that that's a little bit more context. So, yeah, I think I agree with your father in, uh, in, in that you should do that uh, going forward. But, you know, your father, once again, is coming down on the side of, uh, you know, rational type of thinking. And it makes complete sense to me. If you're going to tell people what you watched, I would like to know a little bit more about it. Because in theory, people are taking your advice. Not in theory. I mean, my mother takes, takes your advice. Whether you give context or not, she's going to watch whatever you recommend. But it might push people or maybe drive people away if you give a little bit more context going forward. Can I just, can I just finish it up one more, one more time? Uh, circling back to the only thing that I watched, was, which was The Lions. Again, this was a wonderful, wonderful moment, a magical, magical moment for so many reasons that even have nothing to do with football. And what Detroit was, is, and hopefully can be again uh, someday. But I loved the celebration. I loved almost the unity around this team. And yeah, it was Cinderella relative to our history or lack of history when it comes to playoffs and obviously Super Bowls. But it, it was certainly deserving. It didn't come out of nowhere. And the, um, the way that this team progressed through the season, they certainly deserved to be here. And again, I'm, I'm left wanting more. And maybe that's too greedy for a team that obviously has not been incredibly successful. But I did love to see that there was a unity that went beyond the city of Detroit, went beyond the state of Michigan, uh, and transcended the sport, if you will, where people were really into the story of what the Detroit Lions are relative to a city that I know and love. So thank you. Thank you to all of the, uh, the Lions uh, on the field and to Dan Campbell and to all the leadership there for at least giving us this one moment where we were able to celebrate not just our football team, but celebrate what our city is and share that celebration with a lot of uh, other people, even in the moment of disappointment from a competitive standpoint of what happened uh, in the game. All right, Mossy, should we light this candle? Let's do it. Where should we start? We had some massive coaching news in Europe the last few days. We'll begin with Jurgen Klopp. On Friday, he announced that he'll be leaving Liverpool at the end of this season. He said he's running out of energy. He needs a break. He intimated that he's going to take a sabbatical. 
Klopp has been in charge since October of 2015. So this is the end of an era at one of the biggest clubs in the world. This past weekend, they beat Norwich 5-2 in the FA Cup. And there were all sorts of tributes at Anfield. I expect that to continue through the end of this season. Overall thoughts on Jurgen Klopp leaving Liverpool? I mean, if, if there ever was a way to do it, I think this is it. You know, given where they are, where they're going to be, whether they win the league or not, you know, this is going to be a successful season, I think, for Jurgen Klopp. But that is, to be quite honest, that's, that has nothing really to do with ultimately how this is going to be framed. Uh, he is going to go down, and rightfully so, uh, as a legend in terms of what he has done and what he has given this club. Now, there are certainly plenty of others that have won things, won big things, and are legendary. But timing is everything in, in, in life, Mossy, right? And what Jurgen Klopp was able to do from a historic perspective and to give not just the trophies and the wins, but in doing so, give the pride back to now, I guess it's multiple generations, either ones that were wanting to get back to the top or ones that had yet to see it in their short lifetime. It's, it's, there is a sadness to it, but there is within that sadness, an incredible celebration. And, you know, Jurgen Klopp timing wise came about at the right time, resurrected this storied club and will go down as a legend but it's also in the way that he did it it's hard not to like Jurgen Klopp I mean let's let's be honest his personality is infectious the way that he views not just the sport but the way that he views life and the way that he talks about it you never get the sense that he is that there's a holier than thou type of way. Even when he's talking about big, important things, even when he's saying things at times that maybe I or others can, can fairly disagree with it. It's always done with a, it's not, it's not humility, but, but there is a humble nature to the way that he goes about talking things. And don't think for a second that he's not intense or, or that he doesn't care or that he can't fly off the handle. That, that is part of it. But I think all of that, that personality that he is was exactly what Liverpool needed at the time. Obviously, it resulted in incredible success, but he endeared himself to so many, not just Liverpool fans, but fans around the world for the way that he comported himself and the, the decisions that he made, you know, everything, just his, his style, his aura. There, there, there's just an incredible aura about what he does. I will say, and we're going to talk about Xavi here in a little bit too, it, it, it has to take a toll. And look, he's not curing cancer, okay? He's not a soldier on the battlefield. So it all it's relative. But the amount of time and the amount of focus it takes, even for a team like Liverpool, there's plenty of coaches out there that would love to trade places with him. It has to take a physical and a mental toll on you. And so I get it. He's tired. I, I, I understand. I don't know if it's tired where he's going to do a pep sabbatical type of thing and go get his mind right and continue on because he still has plenty in the tank or it's a tired of this particular situation. He wants to go to something else. But I mean, regardless of what happens at the end of this season, he will, like I said, go out a legend and it's been wonderful to see what he has done, whether you're a fan of Liverpool uh, or not. And now it kind of gives this current group an opportunity to send him out on a high if they continue on with what they're doing. 
agree with everything you said. I'm enamored of the man. It does go beyond the trophies, the energy, the excitement, the likability that he brings to a club. I will say, though, on the trophy front, he's actually been unlucky and should have won more. His first season, they lost the Europa League final to Sevilla, a game in which they led 1-0 at the half. It should have been more. There were two stone-cold penalties not given, and then Sevilla came storming back and won. He then lost two, could have gone either way, Champions League finals to Real Madrid, thanks to the goalkeepers, a terrible performance by Carrius in the first and a great performance by Courtois in the second. And twice, he's finished one point behind Manchester City in the Premier League after epic title races in which Liverpool racked up a points total that that on most seasons would have meant winning the title. Uh, So he's actually been a little bit hard done here. He has won seven trophies, and he has a good chance to add to it because they're in the League Cup final against Chelsea. They're in first place in the Premier League, and they're still in the FA Cup and the Europa League. I would like to see him win a couple more here. Obviously, the fairytale ending would be to win the Premier League. So he can go out with a few more and a total that I think reflects just how good a job he's done. And and through it all, look, it, it, it is it, it is a rarefied air to coach at an elite club like this. And I think any coach in the world would love to trade places with him. But he also, I think, coaches players up. And this is such a um, either a misunderstood or an ignored feature and personality of modern day coaching. And yes, even at an elite team like Liverpool, you do have to coach players up and make them better. And if you don't, then I don't think you're doing your job and you're certainly not uh, earn, earning your money. And so I, I, I mean, I, I, everybody's going to say wonderful things about him and they are all fair. And I think they rightly we should praise him for what he has done, whether you're, whether you're even a fan of Liverpool or not. When uh, Jose Mourinho was sacked, I asked you if the opportunity presented itself, would you be in favor of Jose Mourinho coaching the U.S. national team? You said yes. Most people would say yes. Although with Mourinho, it's at least a conversation given the style of football his teams play and the downward trajectory of his career. I feel ridiculous even asking this with Klopp because I know what the answer is going to be. But how would you feel about Jurgen Klopp someday managing the U.S. national team? I mean, I think, I mean, I don't know him personally. We've done interviews with him, but. I, I, yeah, I'd, I'd have no problem with that. Well, I would have no problem with that, but it, it is a very, very different type of situation and circumstance. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know, Mossy. That's a, that's a good question. Really? I, I thought it would be, I, of I, course I'd love that. Well, I only worry about, and this would apply to anybody, but, but including Klopp, especially coming from the world in which he is inhabited. Right. And the teams that he has coached, I worry about the frustration that comes from all of the, you know, the the challenges, the differences and even, you know, the realities uh, and the the unique aspect of what the United States is and what the United States Federation is and what the United States team is. And that's by the way, that's not a necessary a criticism again it's the realities of the situation are very very different than anything that he would have not only been exposed to before but anything that we are comparing contrasting with in terms of all of his success and it's not as simple listen i say form is fallacy all the time when it comes to players it applies to coaches too and a very different circumstance for a very very good coach who we are we are assessing simply, a, a, which is all we can do, of previous uh, places that they have been and successes that they have had. It doesn't always it doesn't always translate. So that you know that would be it. But in general, yeah, I would like that. 
uh, in terms of what's next for Liverpool, we've talked about how Xabi Alonso is the hottest manager in Europe right now. There are three big clubs that he played for and forged the real identification with Liverpool, Real Madrid, and Bayern Munich. So we all assume his next step will be one of those. Until recently, it was thought to be a Real Madrid versus Bayern Munich battle. Real Madrid took themselves out of it by signing Carlo Ancelotti to a contract extension. So we're now thinking Liverpool or Bayern. So a lot of people putting two and two together and thinking Xabi Alonso might be the next Liverpool coach makes perfect sense to me. Well, he's already proven that he, Xabi Alonso, knows what he is doing, uh, unlike other massive stars that have gone into the managerial realm, right? Shall we move on to that? Yes. Uh, the other big uh, managerial news on Saturday, Barcelona suffered a 5-3 home defeat to Villarreal in La Liga. They're now 10 points behind Real Madrid. They've had a terrible last couple of weeks. They got spanked by Real Madrid in the Super Cup final. And were eliminated by Athletic Bilbao in the Copa del Rey. So after this Villarreal defeat, Xavi announced that he'll be leaving at the end of the season. It was a pretty extraordinary press conference in which he said, among other things, this has happened to every Barcelona manager after some time. You end up leaving because it's not worth it to continue. I will rest for a bit after the season. My family have been suffering a lot with me in this tenure. I want to be with them. He then went on to say, you asked me many times, if I'd be the Sir Alex Ferguson of Barca, the truth is that will never happen here. You guys won't allow it. Being Barca coach is so difficult. You see how they kill you. They criticize you. It affects you. How about that? This is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is... All right, where do I even start with this? Um, it, just in general, I think we all recognize that Barcelona, while an elite club... While one of the great clubs in the world, while a team with wonderful existing talent, but also potential, we, we recognize that. And I've never been coach of Barcelona. I know you haven't, and everybody else recognizes. If anybody should understand what Barcelona is as a machine, what Barcelona is as a, um, I guess, a dysfunctional type of machine, it should be Xavi. So, again, if anybody should have gone in with eyes wide open, it should have been him. And so now to say, hey, this is the situation, you knew going in that this was a, at times, dysfunctional type of organization. Now, within that dysfunction in the past, people have had success. Now, have you had the type of iconic and, long, uh, and uh, coach, manager, and the longevity of a Sir Alex Ferguson? No, but the, this this day and age, we don't see that. We don't see that a lot. I think this is such a cop out from Xavi. Okay, and people will say, "Yeah, he's just telling you what the truth is. He's just telling you what the reality is." We we know what the reality is, and if it's so bad, then don't take the freaking job. All right. Again, you're being paid ridiculous amounts of money relative to ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the world out there. You're in a position that pretty much every other coach, not every other coach, but pretty much 99% of the coaches out there would love to be in despite some of the realities and start, despite some of the true things that you are saying about this, about this club. So don't sit there and whine. This is a bunch of whining from one of the great players in the game and obviously a Barcelona legend. And this isn't, this isn't a player standing up and painting the realities to an unsuspecting public out there. There is no hero, uh, heroism in what he is saying right here. 
So you're not up for the job for whatever number of reasons, then go away and let somebody else come in and do it. There is something in the water down there because Pep left after four seasons, said he couldn't take it anymore, needed a break. Everybody assumed, well, Pep must just be one of these guys that burns out. Well, he's now in his eighth season at Man City and going strong there. Luis Enrique left after three seasons, despite having great success, said he couldn't take it anymore. Now, Xavi, this is going to be two and a half seasons for him. So it is a draining job, even as super club jobs go. And? What, so what's the point? No, nah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a draining job, okay? And, and if you don't want to be put into that mixer, then don't go there. I will say, though, uh, there is a world in which after Messi left, Barcelona could have told their fans, look, we just gave you the last 15 years, the most incredible 15 years that any fan base could hope for. Ten La Liga titles, four Champions League titles, two trebles. You got to watch Ronaldinho, Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, Neymar, Suarez. You were coached by Pep. And now we need to take a step back. We need to rebuild for a couple of years. We need to get our finances in order. We're just going to play young players. We're probably not going to win anything, but we hope to come back even stronger out of that. However, this sort of super club era we live in, you're not allowed to do that. So Barcelona, they made some concessions to their financial situation, but they still wanted to project this image of being this big, bad team that can go toe-to-toe with Real Madrid and contend for major trophies. And so it's been a weird mix the last couple of years where you look at that lineup and you see a bunch of 16-year-olds, but also Robert Lewandowski. And it's hard to figure out, is this a rebuild or is this not? Or is there pressure to win trophies now? It, it is an odd dynamic that's been created. You're there. not allowed to do it, Mossy, all right, if you proclaim to be mess doing club right? right and you put and you tell people fr- and scream it from the mountains how it's it's uh you know it's it's an infrastructure that we have and it's an ideology we have and again it's an ethos and an identity and this is a philosophy that starts at the young uh la masia and and we develop from we within and we do all that you're not allowed to do that if when it really comes down to it and what you are saying to me is it was a golden generation that just happened. Again, the soccer gods smiled upon you in a timing when a group came about that was so good that they lived up to what you've been uh, telling us you, you are. And now that it's gone, you can't replicate it. But you were telling us that the reason why they existed was because of all the forethought and all the training. And again, all of the people that were there telling you exactly what to do from a young age. The reality is that's not the case then. It's all bullshit. All right. It gets me riled up. Now, uh, I mentioned Xabi Alonso is the hottest manager in Europe. Not far behind is Thiago Mata, who played at Barcelona. So some people are putting two and two together and thinking there's a fit there. I'm not as sure about that one as I am Xabi Alonso, Liverpool. Uh, with apologies to Sean Sullivan, Bologna to Barcelona is a pretty big jump. Plus, Thiago Mata... Played a few seasons at Barcelona, was a pretty good player there. But it's not the level of identification that you have with Xavi in Barcelona, Xavi Alonso, Liverpool, Pirlo, Juventus, Lampard, Chelsea, etc. So this is not like the prodigal son coming home. So they might want to go out and try to get a bigger name than Thiago Mata. We'll see. But that is a name that's been mentioned so far. All right. What about who else has been mentioned there? I mean, uh, they got to get some players, evidently, because poor little Barcelona can't function right now. I've seen Hansi Flick mentioned. That would be a weird one. I've seen Jurgen Klopp, although he's talking about taking a sabbatical. So I don't know how the timing works there. But uh, yeah, I think people are kind of all over the place now. Uh, Luis Enrique was asked about it. Would he perhaps leave PSG to go back to Barcelona? He suggested no. Coach him up. Find someone that can coach him up. I just said Klopp can do it. You know, evidently, Xavi can't coach him up. All right. He just wants to throw the ball out 
and have the uh, the history and the legacy play for itself. Now, last thing uh, on this, this Xavi departure could affect one prominent U.S. player. Serginho Dest is still on loan at PSV from Barcelona. Doing great. Had another assist this past weekend in their 2-0 win over Almir. Uh, Xavi didn't rate him. Serginho said recently that as long as Xavi's the coach, he doesn't have a future there. Well, Xavi is no longer the coach. But Sergino that's doing so well at PSV that Ernie Stewart wants to sign him permanently. What do you think? Should he just take the deal at PSV or should he wait and see what happens at Barcelona and maybe try again there? No, you wait and see. I mean, if he, he's made it, by the way, he'd be a great interview about this. I doubt he would, you know, spill the tea, as they say. But it would be fun to hear what he has to say from a behind the scenes perspective about what Javi is and what Javi uh, isn't. But yeah, you wait and see if there is someone, again, in every club, Coaches have their favorites. Coaches have players that they like and players that they don't. And it does has not something. Sometimes it has nothing to do really with <laughs> how you play the soccer. It could be anything. So yeah, he waits and figures it out. Especially th- things are going well for him right now. He is wanted. He is valued. And if something were to come back, you know, from a Barcelona perspective, where a guy says, "Hey, this guy is our player, and he is someone that I think can really, really help us," and whether it was Javi or anybody else, maybe they didn't use him correctly or didn't value him. So, yeah, you wait. Uh, another U.S. player who has to figure out his future in the next few days is Gio Reyna. Uh, this past weekend, Dortmund played host to Eric Winalda's former club, Bochum. It was 1-1, mid-second half. Gio came on, played well, provided a spark. Dortmund ended up winning 3-1, full Krug with a hat-trick. Eden Terzic said afterwards that he wants Gio to stay and that he expects him to be available for their next game on Friday against Heidenheim. Keep in mind, the transfer window closes on Thursday, so that would mean that Gio stayed if he's still available come Friday. And we are hearing reports in the last 24 hours that these negotiations with Marseille and Nottingham Forest have cooled. So this is a fluid situation, but as of Monday morning, 9.45 Pacific time here in the United States, it seems to be trending towards Gio Reyna remaining at Dortmund through the end of the season. Well, it seems that Gio Reyna and or Claudio Reyna and or his new management uh, team obviously listen to this podcast. And for those that do listen and or watch, you will know that my good friend David Mossy uh, put out there last week that he thinks when all is said and done, and especially with the options, some of them that you mentioned with Forrest and Olympic Marseille, that maybe the best path forward is to stick with where he is and just wait until the summer. It sounds like that could be more and more of a reality and possibility for him. In which case, if he's getting on the field, that's great. But I go back to what I said last week about, all right, put on your big boy pants. Even with the end in sight for him now, if it, if it, if it means this summer, still do everything in your power to Make yourself valuable, not just to your team, but now on to the open market there and another six months now uh, of your contract eaten up. And so therefore, just from a pure contractual perspective, you become that much more, you become that much more valuable and show that you were wrong. And I am of value and who knows what happens in the future. But it's interesting how all of this smoke, we're finding out there's possibly not fire. I did have a Nottingham Forest fan come after me on X. Ooh. Uh, oh, called, no. Called my comments about their club rubbish and nonsense. I kind of felt Rubbish like, means bad, right? Yes. What okay. it's like to be you for a day. Okay. What, uh, uh, this person did not appreciate that you had said that that's not a place for him to go. Correct. They felt that it was of much more value and that you were devaluing the, the Forest brand. And 
either directly or indirectly devaluing and criticizing even the actual people like this forest supporter. Correct. Oh my goodness. Wow. I can't believe you would do something like that. Just send them my way. Okay. If, uh, if it ever gets too much, what else? That is it. All right, listen, let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we got all sorts of uh, Yanks Abroad stuff or more Yanks Abroad stuff to uh, talk about. And we'll recap, uh, let's see. Well, we'll recap what happened over the, uh, over the weekend because there was some really, really interesting stuff uh, in Europe and other places. Don't go away. Okay, welcome back. Let's take a look at uh, some other things that happened over the weekend in Europe and, uh, and down in Mexico. Let's start down in Mexico, shall we, Mossy? Yes, because Brandon Vasquez is on fire. And fuego. And fuego. Last Wednesday, he got one against Querétaro. And then on Saturday, he got two against San Luis. So three in two games. You know, I mentioned when Brandon Vasquez made this move, I was curious to see if he did well, how that would impact the national team discourse surrounding him. Because although we all pretty much agree that in terms of quality, MLS and League MX are at about the same level, there does seem to be this added cachet in the minds of some U.S. fans in doing it in Mexico. And sure enough, the last couple of days, I've seen a lot of Brandon Vasquez needs to be called up chatter on X, a lot more than I ever saw when he was scoring goals in MLS. But you know where that stems from? Okay, that stems from our insecurities. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm not going to take anything away from Brandon Vasquez. I'm actually going to exult. I'm going to look at this and be incredibly proud that not just an American player, but a player coming from MLS has gone over uh, to Mexico, this Liga Mex that we have all of these connections with and all of these associations and threads with and history with and has hit the ground running. Uh, for those that are watching, you, you just saw his, uh, his goal incredible goal by the way long distance heading uh and directional heading at its best for what he did there is you know there is an element of turnabout is fair play right so if you are a liga mx fan that a american player young american player again a player that while has played for the u.s men's national team was not part of the world cup team has been able to come over and start scoring immediately, and like I said, not miss a beat in terms of the, the success and importance. What does that say about your league? Maybe that says that your league is not that good. And that would be something that people would say and, and a criticism if somebody came over to MLS and started scoring, okay? That's, that, that's one thing that you could say. The other thing you could say, it doesn't really matter where the hell Brandon Vasquez plays. He's a good soccer player. He's a goal scorer. His value just increases. And he saw very, very quickly that it's the same game. Yeah, the culture around it is different. And maybe there's some other little differences out there. But when the ball's put, especially in the air in this case, he's going to find a way to eat that up. And it doesn't matter what language it is spoken. It doesn't matter what the culture, culture is. He's a striker. And he's good at what he does. And he can ply his, his trade anywhere. I'm also seeing a lot of hand-wringing on the part of Mexicans over the fact that the Federation didn't reach out to Vasquez to convince him to play for Mexico. And again, it speaks to this uh, change in perspective that you're talking about, because when he was scoring goals in MLS, Mexicans didn't think he was a big miss. And all it's taken is three games <laughs> in Liga MX. Still and now all, all of a sudden, oh my God, how did, how did we lose out on this guy? Yeah, but I'm going to defend you know, the Mexican fan base relative to you know, the criticisms or the angst out there when a player that you could have had does something like this because it's going to happen for us. And it has happened at times where you have either buyer's remorse in that he didn't turn out to be what you want him to be or 
one of them that got away. And so in this back and forth, in this tug of, tug of war, you're not going to win all of these recruiting battles that you, uh, that you have. Again, I will go back to this. And this is to Don Garber, and this is to the ownership of Major League Soccer. You can look at this and you can spin it any different way. And you can certainly spin it as, hey, we're producing great players that can go to a league like uh, Liga MX and be valued to go there in terms of the money that is paid and in terms of the opportunity that is given. And like I said, hit the ground running and, and score goals. And that's great. However, this is a player that wanted to stay in MLS. This is a player that his team, in this case, it would be Cincinnati, they wanted to sign him. But the, the, the mechanism in order to do that did not exist. And to your point, this is an American player who decided to play in Major League Soccer. This is an American player that made Major League Soccer his league of choice, to use a Don Garber phrase. And he was not rewarded for it. As a matter of fact, ultimately, he was punished for it because of the realities of the situation. Yes, in terms of the, uh, uh, the rules and regulations that existed, but also because this is an American player. And had he been the same player and been coming from the outside, I think it would have been treated very, very differently. And so let this be a lesson to Major League Soccer that you got to figure out a way to retain the talent, especially the talent that wants to be here, and especially the talent that is produced domestically. You know, when he made this move to Monterey, I compared him to Hercules Gomez. Hercules Gomez terrorized MLS teams in CCL. And now MLS teams are going to have to contend with Vasquez in these continental competitions. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic for sure. What's the, what's the Oppenheimer quote? Uh, I am the, uh, the, uh, of my destruction. I'm the architect of, uh, whatever it is. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not paraphrasing it here now, but yes, we are the architects at times of potentially our own destruction going forward. And the only one to blame in that type of situation is the architect. We go to Italy next. AC Milan and Bologna played to a 2-2 draw. Pulisic started. Musa came on as a sub. Loftus-Cheek scored both Milan goals. Pulisic was involved in one of them, but Milan missed two penalties in this match. Olivier Giroud and uh, Teo Hernandez. So folks like Sean Sullivan are wondering when Pulisic is going to get a crack at one of these penalties. Penalties are, are, are so strange in that uh, you know, the percentage is, what, 80% of the time they go in. You usually have a penalty taker on your team. And if and when that penalty taker, it's not just miss one, because eventually you are going to miss one. But if you have a guy like Christian Pulisic, who takes penalties, takes them at the international level, and can certainly make them, and you are not only missing, but you're now missing multiple times, and you're missing from multiple players, at some point, either Christian has to raise his hand, and I don't, I don't see Christian as that type of guy to do that. Or at some point, you have to say, listen, we have to make sure <laughs> we have somebody in there that is going to give us the best possible chance because you're dropping points and you're dropping opportunities uh, without having that 80% play in your favor. We talked about how conflicted Sean Sullivan would be during this match. He was texting us, and boy, he was all over the place. He was all, you could tell he, he, you know, his, his heart was on like this pendulum type of swing and he, you know, his adopted club of, of 
of Bologna and what, what, they, what they have been to him, and yet his American heart was in this tug of war going back and forth. I do think that the American part, like I said last week, ultimately wins out. And maybe he will look at this as both sides of that heart uh, won here. Because that's, you know, that's, a, that's a good point for his, uh, for his team. And while Christian was involved, uh, started and played, there was a point where Bologna went up and I thought, okay, here comes Christian now to be the star and to, you know, have the perfect ending for, uh, for Sean. But alas, you know, it didn't quite happen. Take the point. Yeah. If you're uh, Bologna. Uh, Juventus with a bad result held to a 1-1 draw at home by Empoli. They were victimized by an early Milik red card. McKinney started. Timmy Weah came on as a sub. It was a, you know, a strange game and one that obviously changed on that, uh, on that red card. And you, you, you saw a grit and you saw a, you know, a comeback. And so right now, what, they're, uh, they're a game ahead of Inter, but one point behind, right? C- correct. Okay. So if I'm Inter and I see the fight back of Juventus in terms of what just, what just happened, um, that doesn't make me comfortable. Even without it, I don't think that they should feel comfortable because Juventus can turn it on right now. But this is, I think this is too close to call right now. And that's good to have a fight between Juventus and Inter uh, going down the, uh, the backside of the, the, uh, the season this year. Yeah, Inter with a 1-0 away win over Fiorentina. Lautaro Martinez with the only goal. Next weekend, Inter hosts Juventus. That is an absolutely massive game. As you mentioned, Inter with a one-point lead and a game in hand. If you had to pick now, I know we do this a lot with, um, with the Bundesliga and, and that kind of stuff. If you had to pick now, put all of your money, are you putting it on Inter or Juventus? Inter. Why? Uh, I love the way they're playing this season. I'm salivating over that Inter-Atletico Madrid uh, Champions League round of 16 tie. I love the way both those teams are playing. I think the winner of that tie could go on to win the whole thing. That's how high I am on those teams. Wow, okay. So you're, so you're not only putting your money on Inter to win the Scudetto, but you're also doubling down and having them go far, even potentially being Absolutely. a winner when it comes to Champions League. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Wow. Wow. You heard it here. Okay. Uh, staying in Italy, but dropping down a level, uh, City B, Gianluca Buzio is on fire for Venezia. He has scored in three straight games, the latest goal coming this past weekend against Ternana. Now, you're going to have to take our word for it that he scored because the visibility in this match, I don't know if you saw this video, I, I did. Uh, and, you know, years ago when I was playing, I played in a, uh, for a team called Padova, which is right outside of Venice. Um, in the north of Italy, especially around this time of year, the nebbia, the fog, is ridiculous. And for those that are watching, you, can, you can, well, you can't see actually, but his goal was scored. His coach had no idea if he scored it, if there, who scored it. Um, but ultimately, this is a goal. They all count even in the fog. And it was just kind of ridiculous. Uh, the it's a it's a strange effect when you're playing in fog because while you're actually on the field you can see a whole lot better, but from a television perspective and from a fan perspective, as you get that distance, you you can't see anything. But this fog just comes in and envelops everything. Yeah, we began this pod by talking about the NFL playoffs. There was a famous NFL playoff game in 1988, Eagles Bears at Soldier Field. People can Google it, but that was played in an incredible fog. It's known as the fog game. Uh, and that's what this reminded me of. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Gianluca Buzio can tell people for the rest of his life that this was like a Maradona against England goal where he dribbled right. past five exactly. guys and, and nobody knows to tell him it wasn't. 
<laughs> oh my god. But look, this is this is good for him. We've talked about him now for a number of years and maybe this is him I guess starting to live up to some of the hype. Uh you got Tanner Tessman who's also playing well over there and Syria Ba uh, Syria B is, you know, in a sneaky way becoming an incubator maybe and an opportunity where okay, you want to go to Europe, but Syria is a bridge too far, or there's just not the opportunities. And maybe Syria B is a situation where you can use it to further your career going forward. And from an American perspective, maybe that's the first stop as you go into your uh, European adventure. And we actually have an Ask Alexi question today about these second divisions in Europe. So we'll talk about Serie B there. Venezia right. is near the top of the standings. They have a chance to get promoted. Remember, they're a team I suggested I might buy. If I ever buy a soccer that's right because, because I want to be able to go to Venice. You you were basing it not on your pocketbook, but uh, much more on your lifestyle choice in terms of where you want what team you wanted to buy. Yes, uh, moving to Germany, we also had an American goal in the Bundesliga. Kevin Paredes scored for Wolfsburg in their one-one draw against Cologne, his second of the season. Nice. Interesting to contrast his fortunes with those of Paxton Aronson, who can't see the light of day at Frankfurt and might get loaned out. I mean. They're they're both good. The Aronson brothers, obviously, there's <laughs> shared uh, upbringing. I think what what a lot of people are coming to the conclusion of is that their ceiling is limited. And when you look at others, you know, a Bussy or something like that, maybe there's a higher ceiling in terms of what they possibly can be if they put it all together. And the, the Aronsons, I think once you get past that physical part, which is huge and a, an incredible value and any team would want it and any player at any age, if you have that, that's a foundation that you can work from. But if that's all that you can offer, then that can be, problem, that can be problematic because either it's not enough for whatever team you're playing or the opposition will 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 quickly figure out what it is and find a way around it. But all things being equal, at the very least, I want players to have that. So they have that and they have it in spades, but do they have anything else? And so therefore, what is that ceiling when it comes to players like that? As far as the title race, Leverkusen held to a nil-nil draw by Gladbach and Bayern 3-2 away win over Augsburg. So just like that, the lead is down to two. <sighs> I mean, we've been here before, right? It's <laughs> so stupid. This is, we do this every single time. And, oh, is it, there's a race on. Now, there is a race on. But if history tells us anything, it'll go back and forth. It'll back and forth. And then Bayern will have a couple weeks where they amass some points. And in this case, it would be Leverkusen. Usually it's Dortmund they're not going to have enough steam to, to take it to the, to the end. Again, if, if you had to pick one right now, would you pick Bayern? I would pick Bayern Munich. <laughs> Way to go out on a limb there. Uh, in Spain, both Girona and Real Madrid won. Girona 1-0 away to Celta Vigo. Luca De La Torre did not score in this game, finally cooling off. And then Real Madrid was 2-1 away to Las Palmas. Vinicius and Chouamini with the goals there. So Girona one point ahead, uh, but Real Madrid has played one fewer game. They'll make that game up on Thursday against Getafe. Uh, from an American perspective in Spain this weekend, the, the high point, Johnny Cardoso went all 90 minutes and had another strong performance for Betis in their 1-0 away win over Stu Holden's Mallorca. Was Stu texting you during this game? Uh, no, Stu was, uh, you know, I think a little too frustrated to, to text 
uh, of what was going on. But Johnny, American Johnny, or whatever, whatever we're calling him now, uh, this is great. This, this is great. What's it called? What's, what's it? What's this, Sean? Uncle Samba, they're calling him over there? Look, nicknames are great because usually, well, they're not always great, but in this case, they're great because it's a form of affection and it's a form of praise in what is going on. So I'm happy for him. And just say on Stu Holden, instead of uh, tweeting about Dan Campbell, he should worry about his own team. Right? Figure out your own uh, mess uh, at home when it comes to the team that you own, right? Uh, by the way, somebody pointed out that I'm correctly referring to it as X rather than Twitter, but I still refer to tweets. They should be posts. posts. They should be posts now. I mean, look, we... we uh, Elon has, has taken us into a different direction here, and it's going to take a little time to adjust. So I'm not going to stand on ceremony. I'm not going to scream and yell if people call it Twitter or if people call them tweets going forward. But yes, technically... No, not technically. It is now X. And when you do something, you post it as opposed to tweeting it from now on. Uh, we go to England next where we had some wacky incidents. Uh, first up in the FA Cup fourth round, Wolves with a 2-0 away win over their local rivals, West Brom. But this match was interrupted at one point because of crowd trouble. There was fighting in the stands that spilled out onto the field. Uh, West Brom superfan Mark Young texted me about this this morning. He was very disturbed. He's worried that hooliganism is coming back to England. What did you make of this? So he's worried it's a return to, you know, the, the horrible past. I don't I mean, I think that enough has been done, both in terms of the structure and the security that's that's involved uh, in game day and in the stadiums and, you know, whether it's the alcohol consumption and all, all that kind of stuff. I, I hope that this is an aberration. I hope this was an anomaly. It's, it's never anything that you want to see. I mean, they dealt with it pretty quickly and they have a lot of security there. But, you know, you get people that are drinking and angry and some people that have, they don't care ultimately about the score and about their team. They just want to get in a fight. One humorous note, um, everybody was horrified. There were all these statements of condemnation. Uh, Brazilian striker Matheus Cunha, who scored one of the goals for Wolves, he was asked about it, and he said, I come from South America. This was no big deal to me. <laughs> but there was all sorts of crazy stuff that was going on in this FA Cup madness of a weekend. I'll be, I'll be honest with you, Masi. I'll watch it just because it's soccer and because, in many cases, it involves big teams, but also, in many cases, it involves... Uh, little teams. I don't know if you remember, by the way, the first thing I ever did for Fox was in January of 2015, we had the rights to the FA Cup. And I'll never forget doing a game that involved Gateshead. And <laughs> I, I think I've told this story before. I was so eager to please my bosses on my first day and, and my first time with Fox that I had called up and talked to the Gateshead uh, leadership, including the PR director. And I met, I met his mom on zoom because they were so amazed that anybody cared at all about, uh, Gateshead, uh, going forward, but I I'm not that into FA cup. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm just watching it just because it's there, but it doesn't hold the romance that maybe it once did. Although one result we have to talk about inexplicably not in the rundown, uh, six-tier Maidstone United. This is the club where Warren Barton began his career. They shocked uh, Shaw Brown's beloved Ipswich Town, who are one of the best teams in the championship. This is one of those magical FA Cup upsets. Uh, Maidstone, uh, the first six-tier team to reach the fifth round since 1978. Uh, so this is being, again, thrown in the face of Americans regarding MLS and the U.S. Open Cup and community clubs versus franchise, et cetera. I know that whole discourse, you enjoy it uh, quite a lot. <laughs> 
Why are you doing this? Why? Are you... <laughs> uh, what was the name of the team? Maid's Head? Maid's? Maidstone. Maidstone. Well, congratulations. Maidstone United. Congratulations to Maidstone United for giving us a moment of romance, for giving us this Cinderella, for giving us and many people out there um, the ammunition that they need and want when they argue for an FA Cup or when they are arguing for an Open Cup. And look, I am I am not an animal. <laughs> I watched uh, the Elephant Man the other day. Uh, I I can I can celebrate and I can recognize when these moments happen and the joy and the excitement and the unique aspect of something like that coming on. They are few and far between. And maybe that's what makes it that much more powerful when something like this happens. Uh, one last crazy incident in England. Did you see in this League One match, uh, a Port Vale fan ran on the field and chased the referee uh, because of a insane. decision he made against Portsmouth? This is insane. The referee took off. And in this day and age, well, not in this day and age, and just in general, you never know what somebody running on the field and running towards you has in mind uh you know it's one thing if they're gonna just scream and yell at you but you can't take that chance and so <laughs> the referee was was chased that that person got that far was pretty uh, pretty amazing and we can laugh about it now but it is a scary type of situation for the people involved and when you are watching something like that and that person should never be allowed back that's just the uh, the way that it goes. Uh, did, did you see the uh, the woman that tried to nutmeg the referee too? I mean, just people just going on the field. Look, unless there is an emergency type of situation, you should never go on the field. I think that everybody under well, not everybody understands that, but enough people understand that. And if you break that trust and you violate that invisible wall that exists. And thankfully, it is an invisible wall, and it's done out of security and safety issues, but it's still a wall. And if you violate it in a situation, in a moment where there isn't an emergency, and in doing so, you threaten the safety of the people on the field, then you deserve to get your ass kicked. Um, And if you're going to just play it off as, oh, I just wanted to run around and get my picture taken, or in this case, a woman trying to to meg the referee... I'm sorry, but there has to be a hard line when it comes to people getting on the field because of the potential for you know something horrible to happen. And even in the past, we've seen it in tennis and other places, and and certainly in soccer, for really horrible things to to happen. We don't want uh, we don't want that to happen. But FA Cup madness, both on the field in terms of the players, and I guess on the field in terms of the actions, and off the field in the stands that we don't want to see. Uh, last thing in this segment, the two major international tournaments are both in the midst of the round of 16. We'll do Africa Cup of Nations first. Uh, big story there, Egypt eliminated by DR Congo on penalties. So that whole Mo Salah chat we had in our last pod is moot now. He will not be going back to the Ivory Coast for that tournament. Nigeria beat Cameroon. Later today, defending champion Senegal faced host Ivory Coast. Uh, and then in the Asian Cup, uh, Jordan beat Iraq in a wild match that got your attention. Well, it got my attention because it was a wild match. Ultimately ended 3-2 uh, to two Jordan over Iraq. But I don't know if you saw it, but we, we got a picture here. And for those that, uh, that, that aren't watching here, it is of um, a player uh, for... Uh, for Iraq after celebrating the 2-1 to one goal. Uh, this is uh, Amen Hussein sitting down and pretending like he is eating and eating the grass. Now, there is context to this because the Jordanians uh, earlier in the game had also celebrated like this as a group. 
The problem is, is that this puts the team up in the, like the 76th minute. This puts um, Iraq up against Jordan, two to one. So they're, they're excited. Hussein celebrates like this. He's already on a yellow card. The referee looks at this and determines that this was beyond the pale and that this violated uh, the, uh, the laws of the game in that he was doing something that mocked the opposition in terms of the celebration. He gets his second yellow card, obviously is out of the game. Now they're down to 10 men with, like we said, 15 minutes left. Jordan comes on and scores two goals, uh, goal in extra time, and ends up winning. And all hell breaks loose, and everybody is uh, angry for this. I just thought it was interesting in terms of how the referee saw that earlier when this celebration was done by the Jordanians, it was okay. Because in that context, they weren't mocking the opposition and therefore you know, causing problems in that way. But this, which was a reflection of what had happened earlier, was deemed uh, yellow card worthy. And not only, like I said, did he go out of the game, but ultimately they ended up losing the game. Um, so again, stuff that has nothing to do necessarily with kicking the ball, but impacting the game on the field. I guess congrats, congratulations to Jordan and to Mr. Hussein over there. Uh, he probably learned his lesson, although he made it onto the state of the union in the, in the, uh, in the celebration that he made about eating, uh, after his goal. Uh, next up for Jordan is Tajikistan, who eliminated UAE on penalties. Sean Sullivan texted us excitedly about this result. He apparently is a Tajikistan fan. Yeah, I never know what's going to sell, what, what's going to you know, uh, warm the cockles of Sean Sullivan's heart. It's, it's a very random type of thing. I mentioned the schadenfreude that U.S. fans have towards Japan right now. Japan faced Bahrain in the round of 16. But the even bigger schadenfreude is towards South Korea, who take on Saudi Arabia. Why? Because South Korea are coached by Jurgen Klinsmann. Are, are you hate-watching South Korea the same way people like Matt Doyle are? Are you still bitter about Jurgen Klinsmann and his time as the I, U.S. coach? I have moved on from Jurgen Klinsmann, okay? Uh, I can look at the good he did, and I can also look at the bad. Uh, I, I don't think about Jurgen Klinsmann anymore. I know that there are those that rue <laughs> the day he took the job and look at many of those years as wasted years or a step back. I, I yeah, he doesn't, I don't think about Jurgen Klinsmann a, anymore relative to the national team. I, I, in my mind have moved on. We, I think as a country have moved, uh, have moved on. So, and, and I don't take any great joy in seeing others fail. Um, and again, that doesn't mean necessarily that he's a good coach uh, or that I would, I would hire him, but I wish him well and I want him to, to do well. I think that there is an, a, a desire to recognize <laughs> and to call out the fact that some of the, um, some of the failings and some of the problems we've already been through at, from a U.S. perspective and that South Korea is now doing it why are they having to repeat those? And if they had done their due diligence, maybe they would have seen that this is his MO and these are the things. I think that's where a lot of it comes from. But I am a kinder and gentler force, Mossy. Maybe in 2024, I have uh, you know, turned over a new leaf in that I, I just wish the best for everybody. And I'm incredibly positive. Unicorns, rainbows, puppies. Bring it on. That is it. <laughs> that's it. All right, let's take a quick break. and we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. 
Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. Keep in mind that our handle out there on all the social media platforms, including X, my friend, uh, is SOTU with Alexi. Or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. Now, over the years, I have talked to you about the different platforms that we have out there. And we use X a tremendous amount, Instagram, all the different things. We also, uh, like a lot of shows out there, uh, are incredibly popular and uh, use YouTube a lot, especially from a video perspective. And a lot of people watch this show as opposed to simply listening to it in podcast form. Uh, we, have, we get comments there. You can comment any on any and all, and all of these platforms here. So I think we actually have a comment from YouTube. We haven't taken a lot of comments from YouTube, but I thought uh, it's important to make sure that we, you know, we spread the wealth here when it comes to the comments. So what do the people want to know this week, Mossy? Uh, Sparkle Motion thirteen thirty seven asks, how do the middling teams in MLS stack up against the England, France, Italy, Germany, Spain second divisions? Okay, so in the previous segment we talked about. Syria B. And I think there's a lot of people that look at some of these second divisions and equate it with, with MLS. I think that that is selling MLS a little short and it is a little apples to, to oranges when we're, we're doing these things, but I get it. It's a fun exercise. I've, I've done it before. Um, I think that MLS is better than, um, Ligue 2. What's, uh, what's the second division over there in France? Ligue 2. I mean, stands yep. for... Okay, Ligue 2. So. Um, so I think that it's better than that. I think it's better than the German second division. Um, I think that there are certainly teams when it comes to the championship in England that could beat and you could make a case and argument are better. Um, not by any stretch of the, ima- uh, stretch of the, ima- uh, of the imagination, all of them. And there's a lot of crap soccer that exists in a lot of second divisions out uh, in Europe, including in the, uh, the championship. But there are absolutely teams there that you could put on par with MLS teams. The Syria, uh, Syria B1 is, is interesting. I still think that MLS is better than, uh, than Syria B. Um, where else are we going? Uh, da, 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 da. France, Germany, we talked about that. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, MLS is better than second division in Europe. There are individual teams that absolutely you can point to that I think would have no problem competing in MLS. But again, there are plenty of MLS teams too that I think would have no problem competing in the first divisions of leagues around Europe. Yeah, I mean, let's take your average MLS player and compare them to the average player in these leagues. Messi, to me, is better than any player in these second divisions. Exactly. Thank you, Moss. You were, you were just <laughs> dying to get that in. I, uh, I know. Um, what else do we got? All right. Uh, Bill Mitchell with a question on X. In the last 25 years, is there a World Cup team, i.e. national team, that could make it to a Champions League final if it were possible? Okay, Bill, over there on X. I think we've established, and for those that have watched and listened to this show over the years, you know that there is a difference between the international game and the club game. I mean, just from a practical perspective, you train day in and day out, every single day, you live and you work in the same city, Uh, you play your games, sometimes two games midweek, and at the end, you certainly play many more games, you're with your coach longer. And that has to factor into, you know, how good you are. 
and the cohesiveness and the partnership and the understanding that a team has relative to an international team that, like we said, plays games sometimes with months of separation. You have very sh- a short period of time. However, when I look back and I look at you know, the World Cup champions, whether it's your Brazil back in the early 2000s, whether it is, you know, the great team that went down to your Brazil and won in Brazil when it comes to Germany, whether it was the great Spanish team of 2010. Uh, even when I look at a team like, you know, even as much as, as Italy has struggled relative to the World Cup, when I look at that team that went to England and won in penalties and won the, uh, won the Euros, speaking of England, with what England is right now, they. All of those different teams absolutely, I think, could compete at the highest level. And oftentimes, from a competitive perspective, we look at the Champions League as the highest level. So I would have no problem putting many of those teams, including you know, Argentina just winning the World Cup. And even if you go into it, an, an Uruguay back in the heyday when you know, the Suarez and the, uh, the Cavani's and these types of players were playing. Um, I might even push when it comes to a Chile uh, out there. Um, I would, you know, put uh, a Portugal team at its finest uh, when, you know, they won the Euros. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot of teams that would be incredibly successful and certainly could uh, win the Champions League and certainly make it to the final as a national team if in their, in their greatest moment were put into a uh, Champions League situation. What do you think, Mossy? Yeah, you mentioned Spain 2010. There were so many Barcelona players on that team. That's that true. They almost had a club level of synchronicity. Uh, so that one, I think for sure, uh, would fare quite well. Yeah. And, you know, teams of old when it came to Italy, too, uh, they, you know, sometimes backlines of all, you know, Milan fan, or Milan players and that kind of stuff. So there, there is crossover and there is understanding. Don't get me wrong. It's not just ships passing in, in, the, in the night. But relative to club teams, it's a very different type of situation. That Brazil 2002 team had a front three of Ronaldo, Rivaldo, and Ronaldinho with a young Kaká on the bench, Cafu and Roberto Carlos. You think they could figure it out if going to, you know, Belgium to play a Champions League game on a Wednesday? I think they could, yes. (laughs) Uh, All right, anything else, Mossy? That is it. All right, well, thank you uh, to everybody, including Sparkle Motion over there on YouTube. Like I said, we we do mine the comments out there for stuff. I know we've been kind of biased and and, and done a lot when it comes to X, but all of those different platforms, again, uh, continue to send us your questions, uh, your comments. Uh, and you know, whatever it's rating or reviewing, continue to do that when you, uh, when you are looking at all those different platforms, uh, that we have also, again, a reminder, six, five, seven, five, four, nine, two, two, nine, seven is our state of the union podcast hotline. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's the end of our show and I'll give you my one for the road. Okay. Welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Uh, that this is a yearly type of occurrence that happens mossy in that there are well there's teams and leagues that are introducing their new aesthetic introducing their new brand in the form of a jersey i don't call it kits because i I feel as affected and i didn't grow up calling it kits but inevitably there are leaks and uh like clockwork we have had a leak when it comes to what allegedly are going to be the jerseys for MLS teams uh, going forward into 2024. This leak comes courtesy of EAFC. Now, that is what the video game that once was called FIFA is now called. EAFC, if you go on, evidently, they leaked it through there. Is it intentional? I don't know. But so again, 
These are potentially what these teams in MLS are going to look like in 2024. And for those that are watching, I know this is much more of a visual type of segment. Uh, if you're not, if you're just listening, you can certainly go look it up. I I, uh, I posted it, and um, uh, we'll post it on all the different platforms that we have out there. But if you are watching, I'll try or not watching, I will try to at least give you some to pick out. Down there uh, in the bottom right, for those that are, are watching, you will see the San Jose Earthquakes. And now that is a retro type of San Jose Earthquakes logo that is there. I, I like that. So that one immediately stands out to me when it, uh, when it comes to this first panel of, um, of jerseys. Also, the new crest when it comes to Toronto FC there is much more simple, something also that Seattle, uh, Seattle has done. I like the Charlotte because it pops in terms of this aqua that evidently they are going to uh, go for. Real Salt Lake up there in the upper left, a real Barcelona-esque type of feel. Everything else is just kind of kind of boring, although I will let you know that the sash evidently is back when it comes to the LA Galaxy. Uh, I like sashes. I remember the late, great Ziggy Schmidt was a huge, huge proponent of sashes on jerseys, and he actually lobbied and got the Galaxy. Uh, he was a former coach of the LA Galaxy to have sashes. So if if we believe this leak, then the galaxy also uh, is changing in terms of putting a sash. Let's go to the next page because I think that's where it really gets interesting. I, I love the Sounders. I, I think I've told you before, I love their rebrand when it comes to their logo. It's very simple, uh, and I think it can be iconic going forward. And again, if you are the Sounders or Portland, um, if you don't have green, then something is missing. Uh, and this is as green as it can get. It almost looks like a forest when it comes to the Sounders uh, out there. Speaking of green, I like the Austin FC uh, with the sleeves of green uh, as opposed to, and, and then juxtaposed with the white front. So I, I, I think that's cool. Nashville SC is only interesting in that I know exactly who is playing. And I love the fact that when I see Nashville on the field, I know exactly who is playing. And I don't confuse it with the yellow of, let's say, a Columbus, uh, a Columbus crew. So those are some of them that's, uh, that stand out. Again, the logo up there for the uh, white caps, I think, is a retro thing. So there's a real retro type of feel to what is, uh, what is going on. I know Sean Sullivan kind of liked the, uh, the Red Bulls down there in the bottom right uh, corner that you know, can, can be certainly identif uh, identifiable. But that's what I want when it comes to these jerseys out there. I want something that is, is instantly identifiable. That's why I talk about, and if rumors are to be believed, the folks down in Miami are going less pink. Now, they're still pink, but they're evidently going less pink. You never go less pink, Mossy. You lean in as hard as you possibly can to pink. I want it the pinkest that it can possibly be. I want you to go more pink. And when you think you've gone as far as possible with pink, I want you to go even more. That's how pink I want it to be. And you talk about iconic, you talk about identifiable. That, to me, is the most identifiable jersey in Major League Soccer and in soccer in the United States and, and Canada. And yes, this happened uh, certainly on Messi's watch, but it was the same before Messi. I love the fact that they identified pink and they lean into it. And it does disappoint me a little bit that evidently this year they're getting less pink. I don't want a washed out type of pink. I don't want it to look like you threw in a red marker 
in your white laundry and this is what you got. So I, I'm a little bit worried about that. But these are important things. This is, this is your identity if you're a fan and you want something that's interesting. You want something that from a marketing perspective, people gravitate to that want to buy. We'll see if this, this, this leak actually holds true in that these are ultimately the aesthetics uh, of these teams going forward. And then we will have the usual back and forth. And pe some people will like it. Some people won't uh, like it. The criticism will be there or maybe even the praise going forward. In the past, a lot of the criticism has been because it's all Adidas, there is a shell and therefore the ability to do different things is limited. And they all kind of look the same. From Adidas perspective, they kind of want it to all say Adidas but from an individual team perspective, you want to stand out. And sometimes that di that's difficult when everything is being done by one product uh, company, in this case, Adidas. Uh, speaking of Inter-Miami, they're in Saudi Arabia right now facing Al-Hilal as we speak. It is 2-0 Al-Hilal in the first half. Uh, and then on Thursday, they'll play Al-Nasser. That is the big one, Messi against Ronaldo. Ooh, I can't wait. Now, this is you know a preseason type of situation for Miami. And as we said before, with Messi, you got to make some of that money back. And the quickest way to do that is to take this team on tour. And they are going all over the place. And they salute. They will have been around the world when they finally come back for the beginning of MLS, which is upon us in uh, a month or so. So um, anything else before we go, Masi? That is it. All right, listen, thank you, everybody, for listening, for watching. Thank you also for everybody that uh, sent in comments, questions, and concerns out there on all the different platforms that we have um, including, by the way, YouTube. Uh, so definitely put those, uh, put those comments there. Keep reviewing, keep downloading, keep rating, keep subscribing, keep doing all the different things that you do out there. Lots of love to all of uh, the Lions fans out there and all of you that took the ride with us here. And ultimately, we didn't get to the promised land, but hopefully we gave everybody a, uh, uh, you know, a fun type of uh, adventure. And yes, it's disappointing. And yes, it's painful. But... Um, I would much rather have a disappointing and painful, what do they call this, conference final? Is this a conference final? With the possibility of getting to the Super Bowl than not even being in the playoffs at all. All right, we'll talk to you again later on this week. And until then, and as always, size the day.